Well, this morning we're gonna have a fun and interesting time studying the scriptures. Before we begin our Torah study, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. I want to talk this morning about telling the Christmas story without Jews. It's a provocative idea. What happens when the Jewish details and elements of the Christmas story are removed from the Christmas story? You really don't have much of a story. But we're going we're gonna to look at it carefully to see uh, about this. And, and I started thinking about this when I was reading the story of Joseph from this week's Torah portion. Uh, because you and I know as we're reading the story of Joseph that he appears to be an Egyptian, but what is he really? He's a son of Israel. He's one of uh, the sons of Jacob. He's really one of the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you know that, and I know that, and he knows that, but his brothers don't know that until we read about it this week. But Joseph is clearly an Egyptian, or so his brothers thought, because they didn't recognize him. They were only looking on his outward appearances. But soon, as we read, they find out who he really is, and it is shocking to them. They are not rejoicing when they discover who this guy is. And we learn something through this process. To know someone, we need to know not just their outer person, we need to know their inner person. It's not just their outward appearance, but we have to know the things that are stirred up in them because those combine together. I like how it's put in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16. The Lord was speaking to Samuel about um, how, how to deal with the fact that Saul, who had been appointed king, was now going to be uh, rejected as king. And it was confusing because he was the Lord's choice and Samuel had anointed him. But the Lord put it this way. 1 Samuel 16 verse 7. The Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature. Don't look at how handsome he is and don't look at how tall he is. Because if you didn't know this, Saul was tall and handsome. And he physically was an imposing figure and an attractive figure. But the Lord said, don't look at those qualities because I have refused him, I have rejected him. The Lord sees not as a man sees because man looks on the outward appearance, on what's outwardly visible, but the Lord looks on the heart. The Lord looks deep inside a person to see who they are. And he's not satisfied with looking at their external qualities and the obvious things and the visible things. Now, in, in the same way, I want you to think about something. What happens when we miss some of the important details of a person's life? 
What happens when we even think about the Christmas story and we leave out the Jewish details and elements, we don't get the whole story. It's hard to know the real story. And so in our study this morning, we're gonna start with Joseph's story and then we'll look at what Sandy and I are now calling the redacted Christmas story. So let's start in Genesis chapter 45. We'll look at the first eight verses. And I trust that you're familiar with the Joseph story and that you've been following along in the readings. Uh, And if you haven't, I would encourage you to go back and, and read about the life of Joseph and what led up to this. But Joseph is now receiving his brothers and Joseph is uh, in his court, if you will. He is present with them and he's speaking to them through an interpreter. He's speaking Egyptian and the interpreter is um, speaking to, in Hebrew to the brothers, and when they answer in Hebrew, the interpreter takes those Hebrew answers and he um, speaks to Joseph in Egyptian. So you've got this Egyptian guy who's with a bunch of Jewish guys. The Jewish guys are speaking Hebrew. The Egyptian guy, or appears to be Egyptian, is speaking in Egyptian. There's an interpreter going on in between. It's a dignified, courtly place. And then suddenly, as we read, Joseph starts bawling. He starts crying. And I was, I was trying to imagine what would have happened in the courtroom uh, yesterday when we were with the lobbers if the judge all of a sudden just started weeping and couldn't talk anymore, and made most of the room leave, it would be disorienting, don't you think? In the same way, if I just started crying for no good reason. (laughs) We're having a normal morning, and (laughs) I just burst into weeping tears. You might wonder what's going on. Well, that's what happened. So let's read. At last, Joseph could no longer control his feelings in front of his attendants, and he cried, get everybody away from me. Now, he said this in Egyptian, so only the Egyptian speakers could respond. And so no one else was with him when Joseph revealed to his brothers who he was. He wept out loud. Now, Help me out here. Can I have as many volunteers or as willing to, to just weep out loud from your seats all, all at once? <laughs> I, I hope this comes through for the podcast because it's really delightful. Thank you. Especially Missy. That was great. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. He wept out loud, and the Egyptians heard, and Pharaoh's household heard. You know what that means? It'd be like the toddlers hearing in their room. Let's try it again a little louder so that all the people... Okay. (laughs) It was 50-50 on that one. So he's just crying. And then verse three, Joseph speaks to his brothers. 
And it's a change-up, because now he's speaking in Hebrew to them. And I'm sure they're wondering, is this guy a lunatic? Is he unstable? And then these words come out of his mouth, Ani Yosef. Is it true my father is still alive? Now, at that moment, the air left the room. (laughs) And the brothers, it says, could not answer him. They were so dumbfounded at seeing him. Another way of saying it is, they were in shock. Joseph said to his brothers, please come closer. (laughs) That doesn't sound good, does it? Because he's he's speaking in Hebrew. And they came closer. And then he said again in Hebrew, I'm Joseph, your brother, who you sold into slavery. You dirty rats. (laughs) No, that's my, he didn't say you dirty rats, but I added that. But don't be sad that you sold me into slavery here or angry at yourselves because it was God who sent me ahead of you to preserve life. The famine has been over the land for the last two years and for yet another five years there will be another, there will be neither plowing nor harvest. Do you remember uh, the dream and interpretation? There would be seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine. And so we're now two years into the famine, which is what has brought his brothers there to buy food. And Joseph says, there are five more years to go. He has such confidence in what God has shown him. And according to what has unfolded, he has reason for that. And he tells them, God knew what he was doing in getting me here. Verse seven, God sent me ahead of you to ensure that you will have descendants on earth and to save your lives in a great deliverance. And so it wasn't you who sent me here, but God. And he's made me a father to Pharaoh, Lord of all his household and ruler over the whole land of Egypt. Joseph is offering an interpretation about all these events. He's saying, brothers, you know what you did. And you know why you did it. But here's the fact, God was at work in a secret way and you had no idea what he was doing. You sold me out, but God positioned me for salvation for you. He put me in this place. You thought you were getting rid of me. God was putting me in the perfect place to preserve life and to save you and your children. What a great statement that he makes. But think about this. The the brothers are speechless because what they saw was visibly an Egyptian. They, They looked at him. He spoke Egyptian, the Egyptian language. He was wearing Egyptian clothes. I suspect he had an Egyptian haircut or shaved head. He was in a Egyptian government position. And he spoke to them through an interpreter. So there was a charade of sorts going on, right? Joseph knew who he was, but the brothers did not know who he was. And the man they were looking at clearly was an Egyptian. 
He was enculturated as an Egyptian. He was outwardly an Egyptian, and he was functionally an Egyptian. But outwardly, he was one thing, but inwardly, he was something altogether different. And you couldn't really know this man if you only knew him by his outward appearance. You would be correct about all those details, but you wouldn't know him fully. You wouldn't know his heart. You wouldn't know who he was called to be and what God wanted to use him for. He had an inner reality that was, that was uh, shaped by his personal history. It was shaped by his origin and by his family. And his present reality, this one man, had two different sides. He had this outward Egyptian side, but he had this inner side as a child of God and one of the children of Israel. Now, I don't know if this will help you or not, but yesterday I was listening to an interview with Bruce Springsteen. Let me see how many of you know who Bruce Springsteen is. Okay, it won't help you. It won't help the rest of you. He's one of the most famous rock and rollers in uh, modern history. If you didn't know that, you know, you probably don't listen to rock and roll or never did. I don't know how you live. (laughs) But Springsteen has been remarkably successful. But a few years ago, he went into a major depression, which he was talking about. And for a year and a half, he couldn't work, he couldn't produce, he couldn't perform at all. And then the interviewer was uh, asking him about his, uh, his stage persona. And he was describing his stage persona and how full of life and energetic and powerful and emotional and, and open he was. And, and she asked this question. Did you ever think about the fact while you were depressed that there were all these people who wanted to be you or like you? And he said, yeah, because I wanted to be that guy on the stage. But off the stage, I was me. It was really an interesting moment. He had different sides to his persona. The, The performer was one thing, but his reality was another thing altogether. And if you thought you knew him by how he performed on stage, you only knew him as an actor and singer. You didn't know the real person. That's really what his story is about. He's written a book and uh, done a one-man show on Broadway that just came to a conclusion. Um, In the same way, if you thought you knew Joseph based on his public outward expression, you would only know that Egyptian side to him and you wouldn't know him fully. His brothers didn't recognize him. It's clear. And the Egyptians accepted him for who he was to them, but they didn't really know him either. They didn't know him fully. So Joseph was more than his outward appearance. He he was, in fact, a son of the covenant, and he was a representative of the grace of the God of Israel towards Egypt and towards the children of Israel as well. 
And so he represented this grace to the Egyptians, but he also represented the grace of God to his brothers who didn't receive him. They did not recognize who he was. They had difficulty receiving Joseph and his calling. They tried to cut him off and they tried to cut him out of the family picture to remove him. They sold him into slavery because they hated who they thought he was. But in fact, he was still part of them and they still needed him. It it turns out that, that there are several cases in the scriptures where the one who is called to be a redeemer is refused and rejected by the very ones he's called to show grace to and to function as a redeemer for. And sometimes you could say these redeemers come in disguise. They're not recognized. Joseph was the first example. Moses was another example. Do you remember when Moses was stirred to to try to rescue a, a, a son of Israel who was being beaten by an Egyptian taskmaster? And he defended that Israelite and the other children of Israel who were around saw Moses as a threat. They didn't think, oh, he's a good guy. They thought he's an Egyptian who's gone crazy. (coughs) They didn't know who he was. They didn't recognize him. And in the same way, Yeshua came. Yeshua came recognized by some, but not fully recognized by all. Now we fast forward, and we can think about, if you will, the Christmas story, and think about um, how people are looking for a redeemer who fits their expectations and who, who uh, fits what they want. It's common. So what's happened is that the Jewish qualities of Yeshua have often been subordinated or stripped away. In in fact, the Jewish details and the elements of the Christmas story (coughs) are often ignored, even though the texts are really clear and have so many details, so many elements about this. it really got me thinking, comparing Joseph who appeared to be an Egyptian but he was really a son of Israel, and then thinking about, I'm, I'm gonna change language here a little bit, thinking about Jesus Christ. I'm, you know who he is, <laughs> Yeshua the Messiah. But when, when we say Jesus Christ, often, we remove him in a mental image from his family life, from his history, and and from the Christmas story. I thought Jesus Christ was a Catholic. I had no idea until I actually read the New Testament. But like Joseph, the Jewish culture of Jesus has often been taken away, and like Joseph, the the prophecy about him has often been taken away. And so Sandy and I started thinking about this. What happens 
with the Christmas story, when you strip away the Jewish culture and the Jewish context and the Jewish history and the prophecy regarding the Jewish people and the Jewish Bible references and the Jewish characters in the story, the Jewish patriarchs and so forth, well, you can try to tell the Christmas story without all those details, but you're going to have a problem because there are going to be lots of gaps in the story which you may be tempted to fill in with Frosty the Snowman and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and some Christmas trees uh, at a hotel in Bethlehem and so forth. You can try to tell the Christmas story without those details, but it won't be the whole story. So Sandy and I were talking about this, and she had, this, she had a great idea. It's really an incredible idea. Why don't we take the gospel Christmas stories, she said, and redact them. And we'll redact all the Jewish details and elements. And if you don't know about redaction, it has to do with marking up a document and blacking out the details that you don't want to be known. And I shared this last night, and afterwards our, our cantor, Aaron Jacobs, came up to me and said, tell Sandy, this is a brilliant idea. He worked at a time in the Navy as a redactor, where there would be like top secret documents that needed to be given to others who didn't have a high enough clearance, and he had to redact out documents so that they could read the parts that they were allowed to see. So what we've done, what thanks to Sandy's uh, idea here, is we've taken the gospel stories that are in the first two chapters of Matthew and the first two chapters of Luke, and we've redacted them, and we've marked through all the passages that have Jewish elements, as Sandy said, Jewish culture, context, history, prophecy, Bible references, characters, and so forth. We've marked through that, and then we're going to show you the redacted document so that you can do your best to try to tell the Christmas story with all that stuff having been redacted. Now, first of all, we want to put up a slide for... Uh, this is the book of Matthew, <laughs> chapters 1 and 2, redacted. These are available online, incidentally. You can go to messianicjewishteachingsnow.com and look for Redacted Christmas and, and, or look for the scriptures for this week's message because I included these. These are redacted scriptures that are being used in the, in the podcast. So I, I followed this idea that Sandy had. We took the NIV, the New International Version, printed out the first two chapters, and then redacted every line that was necessary because it had uh, so much Jewish uh, context and detail and elements in it. And it's really interesting. What's left of the story are the headings that are in each of the passages that aren't actually part of the Bible text, but they're just there to sort of help you go. So it starts with uh, the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. That's where it starts. And then it 
when you start reading that passage, it immediately says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Well, son of David, son of Abraham, that's a reference to Jewish people, so you gotta get rid of all that. You go through the next series of verses with the genealogy, and almost every figure there is a Jew, or um, there are some exceptions, but uh, you know, like Ruth is an exception but she's right in the middle of non-exceptions. So you just keep marking, and, and we marked all the way through. And incidentally, you can, you can do this yourself. I want to encourage you to, to try. I use PDF, uh, Acrobat Reader has a feature on it, where you can turn your highlighter black, and then you just highlight the text, and it's redacted. Lawyers are using this, and... Uh, other people who are involved in top secret stuff. And now your rabbi and Robinson are using it too. And you can learn how to redact. Let me just say, how many of you have ever seen uh, a picture like this of a document that's been redacted when you were looking on the news or in a newspaper and they have a little thumbnail picture? So you're familiar with that concept. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. So as you keep going, in the book of Matthew, you know, you can turn the page and you gotta redact out that whole page and then you turn the page, you gotta redact that. It turns out in Matthew, once you redact out the Jewish elements to the story, there isn't anything left. There's nothing left. But here's the good news. We also have the story in the book of Luke. So we went to the book of Luke. Here, let's look at it, uh, redacted. It's, it's not as bad as you think because the opening lines are preserved. Let me read them to you. This is from the NIV, Luke chapter one. It says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Okay, that part stays, because there's nothing expressly Jewish in any way about that. Yeah, and then you have to redact out the next part and the next part. Actually, you have to redact out the rest of the chapter. And then you get to chapter two, and you, you read this. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Acinius uh, was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. Again, that, that is absent of any Jewish context or element to it. And then you have to start redacting, and then keep redacting, and then you keep redacting. And you know what? You end up having to redact almost all of it. That's what remains of the Christmas story, once you've done the redacting. You see, the genealogies are based on Jewish genealogies, and the references, even in Luke, to the circumcision on the eighth day is a reference to a covenantal practice for the Jews. And then the reference to Pidyon Haben, the redemption of the firstborn, 
where um, Yeshua is taken to the temple in Jerusalem. That's also a Jewish reference. And then the references to Passover, the references to the temple and the references to Jerusalem and the references to all the prophecies and all the other characters, they're all based on Jewish details and, and Jewish elements. And so once you redact those things, you know what you have? Nothing. You don't have a Christmas story. You got some other kind of story, which is no story. Instead of history, you have no story. You have nothing left. The Bible itself preserves all these details so that everyone who would read it honestly for what it says would see that this is a Jewish story. But like Joseph's brothers, they couldn't see through. They had an attitude. They didn't want to deal with the facts. They were looking only at unimportant things. When you take out all these details that are biblical, that are true, that are inspired by God, that are necessary, it's not that you have a different story, it's you have no story. You don't have a Christmas story. So it's not Frosty the Snowman, it's not Santa, it's not chimneys and red-nosed reindeer, it, it's not some little baby appearing out of nowhere at a hotel with a no vacancy sign. It's nothing like that. The story of Jesus the Christ is the story of Yeshua, the Messiah. It's the story of God's faithfulness to the Jewish people to bring a redeemer as he promised. And the story as well about how God's redeemers aren't always recognizable and recognized. And sometimes they come in disguise and sometimes only a few can see and only a few have a heart. And many say, you know what? He's not for us. Once we put the story back together again, once you read the story for what it says, then you'll know something. You'll know that this story is a story for the Jewish people. It's about the Jewish people. It's about the Jewish Messiah and it's about God's plan for the whole world. So everyone needs this story and needs the whole story. I wanna encourage you to do this for yourself. You can print out or make copies of the first two chapters of Matthew and Luke and then go through it yourself and mark through the parts that have the Jewish elements to them and see for yourself what happens. And then I wanna encourage you to do something. And this you have to be really careful about. Find someone you can share this with in order to open up to them the real story and the Jewish details of the story. But don't do it with arrogance. Don't do it, you know, like you wanna stick your finger in somebody's eye. Don't do it to say, I told you so, or anything like that. It has to be with humility, the same kind of humility that Messiah had.
The same kind of humility that Joseph had is necessary. But there are some people who can learn through this process to recover for themselves and to see for themselves what the scriptures actually say about God's faithfulness to Israel. That Yeshua is not the rejection of Israel or the end of the Jewish people. Yeshua is demonstrating the faithfulness of God to the Jewish people so that the Jewish people can become with God a light for the whole world. This is our call. This is our mandate. I think if you go through this process yourself, you'll get a kick out of it. You'll find it a lot of fun. So, so try it and you'll see just how many Jewish details are in the story. And if you want to know Messiah and help other people know Messiah, don't forget those details. Without them, you don't have a story. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that the Bible preserves for us all these details so that we would know you the way you really are. We thank you that we can learn from the lives of Joseph and Moses and the life of Yeshua, that you work in powerful ways, but that you open eyes and hearts that we could hear, we could see, we could understand, and we could learn about you and follow you. Thank you, Lord, for everyone who is bold but gentle in sharing the good news of Yeshua the Messiah with our Jewish people. Let our hearts be encouraged and let us be bold as this season approaches. In Yeshua's name, amen. I want to ask you to stand as we prepare to close. And as you're closing, I want to share with you some, some other great news. It was, uh, it was this week that our podcast passed the 10 million mark for feeds and downloads. Yeah. And by the time I could... Um, get the numbers yesterday afternoon, we were at 10,014,000 and some hundred uh, feeds and, and downloads. Reaching out all over the world with the good news of Messiah and sharing the life that we have together as a congregation and the insights we have because of the scriptures and who Yeshua is. And great thanks to everyone who's been part of the podcast ministry, Ruth and your whole team, and for everyone who's involved in the recording, editing, and posting, and also for all of you, because this podcast really comes out of the life of this congregation. And it's a reflection of who we all are together. And thanks to my wife, who uh, is the brains behind all this. <laughs> and who is constantly contributing insight and direction, you know, that we're all the benefit of. You're a wonderful, baby. So let's... Cl- <laughs> So we, we greet everyone all over the world who will be listening to, to this message and say thank you for joining us. Thank you for those who are faithful listening and sharing the good news wherever they are from what they learn together with us. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen.
Shabbat Shalom.